0: I'm here to tell you that you Christian, not Christian Gonzalez right here, you, a believer of Christ, you actually have super abilities or superpowers. Maybe ones you don't even know about. I'm here to tell you that if you're a believer, you have been given God's Holy Spirit. And for those of us who you have God's Holy Spirit residing in you, This gives you these abilities, these super-like abilities. And one of them that we're gonna talk about this morning is the ability to understand. More specifically, the ability to understand God's word. In fact, believers have the ability because, not knowledge that they've stored up, but because of what the Holy Spirit has given them, understanding to understand God's word, to interpret God's word which gives us the ability to teach God's word. And not just teaching that adds to people knowledge or or worldly wisdom, but because we believe the word of God is living and it can transform lives, we have the ability to understand it and teach that. That's incredible, that's an incredible superpower. And this week I've actually been praying for myself, praying for you listeners that hopefully this message, this parable that Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Matthew, hopefully it would help kind of unlock the the superpower of understanding, help you realize how you can use it for God's kingdom. I want this message to help you guys realize that the ability of understanding and all the other things that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do, you have the ability to transform lives through it. And in fact, you have the responsibility to that's what this word teaches. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna get into the word. thou with me, please? God, as we come before your word, um, I pray that we would uh, have ears and hearts that are ready to listen and ready to receive. Um, God, I pray that uh, you would equip and help me uh, deliver these words that you have written down um, so that, Lord, that it would speak truth those here listening, that I would be able to communicate very clearly uh, the truth that is found in your word, that I wouldn't get in the way of your word. I pray these things in your name, amen. So if you have your Bibles with me, please open to Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 52. I'll read through it here. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad away. That is what it will be like at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? Yes, they said we do. Then he added, "Every teacher of religious law, who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth, as well as old." And so this morning, what I want to do for us is hopefully um, be able to use this slide to help us navigate, or basically these questions, or Several insights I want to point out to you guys so that we can navigate and work through this passage, and hopefully all of us are able to walk away understanding this passage better. First thing is that we're going to highlight is the kingdom of heaven, right? We've talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven in the passage in the Gospel of Matthew, and in fact, the pastors before me, like Trevor and Ken and Chris, have highlighted a little bit of what that means, but we're going to review it just one more time if you're new here um, this morning or haven't heard the other ones. And then we're also going to look into what it, what it possibly would have been like when Jesus told this story of fishing with the nets and sorting, what that might have looked like back in that day, and what that entailed. Then we're gonna look at what this passage's use of righteous and wicked. Who are righteous? Who is wicked? We're also gonna look at what I believe is the highlight of this passage, not necessarily in a good way, but the focus of the passage, which is the destination of the wicked, the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then finally, in verses 52, you might have noticed there's almost this last final tag on, or added on, um, parable and story about the homeowner with the storeroom and gems. And we're gonna work through that, and hopefully all of us can go away understanding that clearly, what Jesus is trying to say, convey in this message. Okay, so starting with the first one, we're gonna look at the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom of heaven, what we've looked at, at least in Matthew thus far, is that it's referring in general, or in a nutshell, to God's reign. But there's different connotation, or different time periods that we're looking at. So we're looking at also, we're looking at past reign of God, right? In the Old Testament, we have passages talking about God's reign. God in control, God being sovereign over that time. We also have this present tense of the kingdom of heaven. It's here because Jesus is here in this passage of Matthew. Jesus is is there in front of them, and so there's a sense that the kingdom of heaven is here right now. And then there's also this future tense. This has not happened yet. This has not been fulfilled yet. And that's actually what our passage is looking at. It's looking at an event that has not happened yet, an event that says, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like, has not happened yet, but we we get insight and we get to peer into what's going to happen. And so in Matthew, we see a lot of this passage. It's almost an introduction. Matthew will write the words of Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and when you hear that is like, you can get ready you can get ready to be able to peer into and have almost some special insight of the aspects of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. In this context, we're looking at the final judgment, that aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, we have um, fishing. Right? When Jesus told this passage, I'll read it for us here, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, caught fish of every kind, and when the net was full, they dragged it up on the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish in the crates, but threw the bad ones away. Right, the net that was used is a drag net. I'll explain to you the drag net was kind of, it was the largest of vessels that you would catch fish with. It wasn't line and reel or hook. It wasn't a cast net that you'd throw out to get bait or other fish. But it was this massive net that went from top to bottom. It had floats and it had weights. And usually a boat would take it out from the shore and do a big semicircle and catch tons of fish. Or two boats would take it out and it would grab this vast part of the sea, the, the lake there, and it would catch all kinds of fish. And this dragnet, this sagne sing net is the net that we're talking about in this passage. And I have something really special for us this morning. I'm very excited. Um, I have with me, I had to pull some strings to get this. To acquire this, I had to go to great lengths. Um, But I have with me, and I'm happy to present to you guys, some photos taken in the first century. I bet you didn't know that there were photographers back then. This photo was actually taken um, right before, I think, the disciples were, were called by Jesus to lay down their nets and follow Jesus. You guys want to see the picture? All right, here it is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's Andrew and, and John or Peter and William in the middle. Was William a disciple? No, okay. I'm kidding. That's a picture of me and some friends fishing with what I believe is kind of a miniature version of a dragnet. It has floats on top and it goes all the way to the bottom. And no, we didn't have boats. We had our feet and hands, so we just walked it. Um, but I'm going to, I found a series of pictures. Actually, my brother. Uh, found on my file, I was saying, hey, there was this one time that we fished with the net, didn't we? Do you have any pictures of that? He's like, yeah, I think I do. And these pictures, honestly, I think they're perfect for this analogy. I think it'll help us hopefully peer into what it might have looked like for the disciples, sorting out fish and fishing what it might have looked like. So I have a series of pictures here for us. So that's me going over to my old youth pastor up there in yellow to help them get the net and bring it down into the one end of the water. And this water was full of fish that we had actually put there as little baby fish, and now we're going to harvest them. And so this net was supposed to catch all the fish. So me and my friends were going there to get it. The second picture is us. We've already spread it out. It's to the bottom all the way to the top, and we're moving all the fish into one direction. We're going to catch all the fish in that pond. This last picture is kind of the culmination of our work. We've come up to the very other end. We've brought the net together, and now we're pulling it up, and it's teeming with fish. It's full of fish of all different kinds. Actually, really only two species, but we were only going for one. If you guys see, there's some red dots or some orange dots jumping there. I bet Mike and Mickey Hall would like this. This is some uh, Japanese invasive goldfish. I don't know who put them in there. I think it was a cruel joke because they ended up taking over the whole pond. But that's not the fish we were going for. That is not at all the fish we were going for. These are the bad fish, for us at least. They're these little minnows, and they stunk, and they were... We didn't eat them. We took them and we threw them out after. These are the fish that we are going for. This is what's called the tumbachinga. and uh, they're, they're big, they're beautiful, they're juicy. We put them on a grill and we have lime and salt and they taste wonderful. That's the good fish. These are the ones that we are looking for. So you can imagine in Jesus' time, he's kind of describing this to the people, and they're they're imagining, they've seen it before, this is a common trade fishing, they've seen it before, where people are out there and they're sorting fish, they're throwing the bad ones away, they're keeping the good. Back then, socially acceptable fish to eat were ones that had scales and fins, and the ones that did not, so like maybe catfish, eels, those were thrown away because they weren't culturally acceptable to eat. In fact, all the good fish that were put into crates were only the ones that were big enough and healthy <coughs> enough to keep. And it might have been even the right species, but it was too small to throw it back away. It wasn't worth their time or weight to carry. And they would put it into crates, just like we did. We put it in a big trash bucket. And we brought it back, and we were going to feast for the next days to come on these <coughs> fish. So I hope this has helped paint the picture of what maybe. The listeners of this time were hearing and understanding when Jesus was teaching this analogy. But now moving on to Jesus' explanation of this parable. I'm going to read the passage for us here, and then we're going to go into it. Verse 49 says, "That is the way it will be at the end of the age." Sorry, at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." And so first thing I want to talk about is this idea of righteous and wicked. What is it that makes someone righteous? What is it that makes someone wicked? Kind of a short uh, paraphrase of what these words mean in and of themselves is that wicked is someone who does evil. And on the contrary, righteous is someone who does what is right in God's eyes. And in fact, even more so than that, righteousness is an attribute of God, and one that his image bearers, believers in Christ, also will bear. And this righteousness has like many avenues of, of application, but one is that God is just and he performs justice. And when he called out Abraham, he also told Abraham to perform justice among people. That's also our call, to be just, to do what's right in God's eyes. To be representatives of who God is like to those who don't know him. To bear his image well. Furthermore, maybe on a more practical sense, the idea of this separating of of righteous and the wicked. Jesus was talking about this separation when the net is full. We're not talking about fish anymore, right? We're talking about people. When that net is full at the end of the world, then... The angels will come and assist God and separating true followers from false followers. True disciples, true believers from false believers. Like in the passage of the wheat and the tares that Kent taught on, they grew up together, both the, the, the darnel that looked like wheat and the actual wheat itself. And once they were fully grown and they could fully be distinguished, the, the tares or the darnel, the one that didn't, wasn't worth anything, was taken away and was burned, and the wheat was brought up and stored. And so in the same way, they'll all be brought together when that net is full. The sobering passage in Matthew 7, that talks about what it will be like at that time. Matthew 7, there's this passage that says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not do miracles in your name? And God will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So that's the idea of this, these false disciples. Look like believers who believe they are, but God never knew them. They never were true followers, true sheep of God's flock. So moving on now, the fiery furnace ends up being the destination of the wicked, as we're told in this passage. The fiery furnace is where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right, we saw this in the passage of the wheat and the weeds. We'll see it later in the passage, I think it's Matthew chapter 22, where it describes a wedding feast where all are invited, but when they sit down, God will see those who are prepared and have those wedding clothes on and those who aren't. And those who are really not actual true parties of that wedding will be thrown out and cast out where they really will be weak and nationality. We see that same passage used here. So the fiery furnace is where the wicked will go. And really when I'm studying this passage and looking into the idea of fiery furnace, um, there's virtually no debate at whether what this fiery furnace is. It's hell. It's talking about hell. And if you've taken time to think about what that means and what that is, you know very well that it is an incredibly sobering thing. To endure internal, eternal punishment, to endure internal separation from God. The idea of that, to me, it's dark, it's sobering. But the most important thing that we all need to remember here today is that it's real. That's actually happening. That judgment is actually coming. And that's an actual place where actual people will go. In our passage here today, we seem to have this transition in verse 51, almost like a a pause, and and Jesus stops and he says, after he's finished saying that parable, he says, do you understand all these things? His disciples say, yes, we do. And he's not necessarily talking about just this parable he spoke right now. He's talking about the parables that we've learned the last past weeks that Jesus one of the man who sows seeds, some by the road, some on a rocky surface, some in thorns and some that take root and grow and flourish. We're talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares. He's saying, have you understood what I'm saying? Have you understood these things? They say, yes, we do. And so then he, in a way, he answers He says, okay, if you do understand, listen here. Verse 52. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old." If you're like me, this one kind of stuck to you a little bit Matthew. right? This parable of a homeowner has some words or maybe aspects we're not familiar to, and I want to help us try to understand what God is saying when he's saying this. So first of all, who are these teachers of religious law that God, Jesus is referring to? Secondly, who is Jesus referring to when he talks about, or what is he referring to when he talks about a storeroom? Right, the storeroom of this homeowner. And then finally, what are these gems of truth, both new and old? What I can tell you about the teachers of religious law, first I'll tell you what they are not. The first thing that jumped to my mind actually was, oh, he's talking about the Pharisees. Oh, he's talking about the scribes, the ones who have been in opposition of Jesus' ministry, in opposition of his entire existence because they think he is a false messiah, and eventually the ones who end up crucifying him. That's what came to my mind. That, that's the teachers of religious law. I think not. That's not at all what he's saying. These teachers of religious law, he's talking about are his disciples. The 12 are those who are understanding these parables of his. So he's saying, if you do understand these parables, if you've understood my teachings, you have become a teacher of religious law. And this is what you are to do. You should go into your storeroom and bring out gems of truth, new and old. What's this idea of a storeroom? It's A, a storeroom which would really just be something simple. It's a place where you would put valuable things, anything of value. Jewelry, maybe an heirloom of value. But Jesus is not talking about a physical storeroom. What he's actually talking about is your heart. More specifically, the heart of the believer. He's talking about the fact that the understanding that the Holy Spirit gives you as a believer it gives you knowledge of God. It gives you deep, biblical wisdom because you can interpret and understand my words. His disciples have the ability to understand what God is saying, and that God calls as treasures. Treasures in their heart. And Then finally, these, these truths of new and old is, is kind of just going further and deeper into what these treasures are these gems of new and old, we see a really good example of what this might look like in Matthew's writing. Right, in the Gospel of Matthew we've been going through, actually the senior high did this last semester, where we looked at passages of quotations of the Old Testament found in the New Testament. Right, where Jesus is saying something, or he does something, maybe he performs a miracle, and Matthew says, hold up here, wait really quick. Jesus did this, listeners in Matthew, Jesus did this to fulfill what the prophets said in the Old Testament. Or Jesus did this to fulfill what was written in the law. And so Matthew pauses and reminds the listeners that there is, it's not that we're getting rid of the old teachings of the law. Right? The Pharisees and and, and scribes were constantly only teaching the, the law, the old law, and they never saw that they actually found their fulfillment in Jesus. Because they ended up crucifying him. They never found out that that their fulfillment was in Jesus. But the disciples, now the disciples are different. They're able to see that, yeah, yeah, the Old Testament speaks of Jesus, and he's here right in front of us. He's the fulfillment of it. So they have these gems of truth, these treasures in their heart, because they've seen how the old and the new connect. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is like, You are this this new protege. You're this new scribe. You're this new teacher that actually understands the old and the new. You understand how they connect. And because you have this understanding, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. What this text says is to bring them out. Not to keep them for yourself here in your treasure room. Not to store them up by yourself and just go down there and look at them. Not to just increase your knowledge of who God is for yourself and your own benefit, but for the benefit of others, you need to bring them out and show them. You need to proclaim them. The word I studied with Jesse and um, Trevor, a little bit of what the Greek looks like, they helped me out with it. And, uh, and the Greek word that you know, English translation says brings, I'm blanking on it right now, but it's actually more commonly used a little bit more forcefully, like to throw out, to fling out, to thrust out. So it's this, this verb of action, like you are, ought to bring out this truth that you know. You ought to proclaim these truths that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. Taking a break from the slides here, I wanna uh, tell us a story to hopefully uh, end our time here. And uh, some of you may have caught from the message the title of the message, you might have recognized it from somewhere else. But uh, there's this movie, Spider-Man. The main character in Spider-Man is Peter Parker. He, he plays Spider-Man. And uh, I know there's like three or four out there, so don't quote me on which one it is, but I'm pretty sure there are all. Peter Parker has this uncle, his name is Ben, and his uncle's driving to the library, and he's, uh, he's kind of giving him a lecture about hey, man, like you're, you're distant from family. Hey, Peter, you're, you're getting in fights at school. And he talks about this specific event where Peter gets in a fight with this kid named Flash at school. He said, just because you can beat him up doesn't mean you should. And then the next line he says is iconic, and it's this quote, this line that stays with Spider-Man, stays with Peter Parker for the rest of his time. His uncle says, Peter, with great power, Comes great responsibility, and Peter is thinking. You know, he's he's becoming Spider-Man. He's realizing he has these new abilities and capabilities and powers. And uh, there's this one scene where Peter he has the opportunity to do justice, to do good with his power, and stop this bad guy from escaping with someone else's money. He has the ability to do it, and he does nothing. He's like, no, you know what? Not my problem. I'm not going to deal with that right now. I don't really care. Well, that, that robber, that, that thief, runs out, and as he's trying to escape, he ends up shooting Peter's uncle and killing him. Peter hears the gunshot, and he goes outside, and he finds his uncle there dying, he realizes there's nothing he can do about it anymore. His uncle's dead. It's almost like he has this realization that I had a responsibility with my powers to stop that from happening to do good, to stop crime, but I didn't. I had that responsibility and I didn't didn't do anything with it. And so for the rest of Peter Parker's time, he's night and day, fighting crime, performing justice in the city, all in the name of what his grandfather said, which was with that power that you have comes a huge responsibility that falls on your shoulders to do good. And In fact, I see almost a perfect correlation here with this passage, which is, that with understanding, not understanding that we've gotten built up in ourselves. We didn't go to psychology class and just get a bunch of other This is understanding that was given to us by God through the Holy Spirit. Understanding that we can use to see things that other people can't, right? The scripture talks about those who don't know Christ, they're blind to the truth. They walk around with no direction we, because we have the Holy Spirit, we've been given understanding. We can see truth. We can see clearly. I'm going to read for you guys a passage that's in 1 Corinthians 2.10. We actually just studied this with the junior high. And I think it hopefully helps us understand where this super ability of understanding comes from. 1 Corinthians two, verse ten says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by the Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. This is the key verse, verse 12. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit but God's Spirit, so that we can know wonderful things God has really given us. I'm here to tell you guys today that you have, by the power of the Holy Spirit, been given the ability to understand God's Word. And with that comes action. With that, Jesus is saying, you disciple, you Christian, who has now understood these things, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to proclaim those, to bring them out in light so others can see them. The passage in scripture that keeps coming to my head is the idea of if you have a lamp, if you have a light, would you put it under your bed? Would you take a basket and hide it so that no one can see that light? No. No, it says you take that light and you put it on a lampstand so that it would shine and give light to everything. If you have an understanding of the truth of the way of Jesus, then why would you hide that? Why would you keep that to yourself? Instead, God commands his disciples and commands us to bring that forth, to proclaim it to those who don't know Him yet. I am, I, I firmly believe that the world needs Jesus, as I'm sure do many of you. I am convicted that the world needs to know that someone died in their place. That gives them meaning, that gives them significance, that gives us purpose in life. Without that, without understanding, without knowing that, without knowing Jesus, you might as well have a blindfold on you walking around not knowing where to go. So if you have understanding, then you are what Jesus calls a teacher of the law. You understand what God's word says and you have a responsibility to bring it out. To bring it out to proclaim it and speak it to those who don't know his word yet. There's a sense of urgency because of the passage we see up here. The judgment day is coming. There's urgency for us to do this. You guys would bow your heads